in search of the greatest teams in business who are creating meaningful customer experiences. This is Heart of Business with Anthony Canada and L.B. Harvey. Welcome to the Heart of Business. My name is L.B. Harvey, and we have a special finale for season one. Our producer, Matt Klassen, was able to interview Tanya Moreno, the SVP of Marketing for the Arizona Coyotes NHL professional hockey team. Matt, is this a sports podcast or a business podcast? Well, uh, at least we've branched out a bit from basketball. But no, this is a business podcast. And all season long, we've been talking to leaders who've had to adapt to some of the toughest market conditions ever, like Zeus, Trip Action, Snap Travel, like all of their core businesses were completely shut down at one point, and they all got through by doubling down on their customers. So like, let's go back to spring 2020. Uh, LB, are you uh, a hockey fan? I'm not a genuine hockey fan. I did uh, briefly date a guy who was very into hockey and went to several games in Washington, D.C. And while I totally appreciate the energy, the skill, and actually the aggression of hockey, I can't say I'm a consistent fan. Okay, well, hopefully this story kind of gets you into the ice hockey fever. Okay. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But back <laughs> in 2020, in spring, in February, the Coyotes were right in the middle of a playoff race when the entire league, along with almost everything else, was forced to shut down. But hockey hasn't been the same since. The NHL hosted their playoffs and their Stanley Cup finals, their championships, in the fall, months after they were supposed to, from a bubble in Canada, in Edmonton and Toronto. Okay. And then they started their most recent season four months late. And they've been dealing with postponed games, drastically reduced attendance. Uh, Many places, they don't have any attendance in person at all. They've got reduced revenue. And Tanya started her job as SVP marketing at the Coyotes right in the middle of all of that. Wow. I imagine that's a a tough, tough road. Um, I mean, I know I'm enough of a football and basketball fan to kind of follow what's happening um, with those respective sports. And I know, you know, the seasons have gone on and I think tons of viewers and success in, in NBA and, and the NFL. But, um, I can imagine that some of the same challenges around players getting COVID the risks of fandom and the stands, et cetera. That's, uh, I can imagine that's a really tough place to be marketing for, uh, let alone new to a marketing job in such an impactive industry. Totally. And, and we talked about all of those things, but I think the one thing that I definitely want to call out, and I think the thing that Tanya and I were both most excited to talk about were some of the Coyotes' diversity and inclusion efforts, which are, are really going kind of above and beyond. And, and, and I'm so excited to share that story with everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's such an important, critical conversation. And it, it's interesting, when we talk about 2020, so often coronavirus or COVID is the, the first thing that pops up. Um, But there was also a lot of really bringing some of the diversity, equity and inclusion themes to the to the front this year, um, right, with George George Floyd here in the United States, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. I also think it's a highly topical thing for us to be talking about on this show. Yeah. And there was a there was a big reckoning uh, right during the George Floyd protests in the NHL, as there was in the NBA and a lot of other sports. And and so it's kind of a watershed moment, I think, for the NHL, which I'm not sure if you know, but it's probably one of the whitest sports out of the major four in North America, yep. uh, at least. Definitely more so than, than basketball and football. So yep. uh, there's a long way to go in in sports and I'm, and I'm in the NHL, and I'm glad that the Coyotes are are trying to be a part of that. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I'm familiar enough with uh, 
the NHL to know that the that the demographics aren't aren't incredibly diverse, and so um, that's really interesting. And to your point, there's been a reckoning across the sports world. I know, um, I think Roger Goodell came out on behalf of the um, National Football League and really kind of did a 180, frankly, on his previous stances around players getting really involved in the movement, et cetera. So um, I'm fired up to hear more from Tanya. Absolutely, me too. I I am a huge hockey fan. Like I grew up in Canada. I've been a a uh, fan of the game my entire life. I play it, so I, I, I'm super excited. It was something of a of a moment for me, maybe a career highlight. I don't know. Yeah. If there's a Venn diagram of of marketing, podcasting, and ice hockey, I'm I'm right at the center, and there's probably not a whole lot of company there. So I'm, I'm pumped for it. Awesome. All right. Well, let's hear it, Matt. Here's your interview with Tanya Moreno of the Arizona Coyotes. So I moved from Canada to Arizona just a year or two after the Coyotes did, and that's more than 20 years ago now. But ever since then, I've been reading stories from time to time in the mostly Canadian sports media about how hockey just can't work in the desert. Now, obviously, that's not what I've been seeing with my own two eyes as a fan of the team and a local beer league skater. Obviously, this franchise has had some ups and downs both on the ice and off, but it's hard to say that hockey doesn't work in a desert when you're in the middle of a sellout playoff crowd, or when a kid that you've watched skate at the Scottsdale Ice Den gets drafted first overall to the NHL. But things have changed a lot in the past year. For all of us, yes, but especially for hockey, for the NHL, and for the Coyotes in particular. And that's why I'm so incredibly excited to be joined by Tanya Moreno, Senior Vice President of Marketing for the Arizona Coyotes, to talk about some of those changes and how the team is reaching out to non-traditional communities to grow the game, both in the middle of a desert and in the middle of a pandemic. So Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm, I'm excited about our conversation today. Yes, I am so excited too. And I, I'd love to start off with kind of your journey to the NHL. I mean, you took a somewhat non-traditional pathway, if there is such a thing. And how did you find yourself leading the Coyotes marketing after a, a background in Mattel, in CBS Sports? Like, how did you find yourself here? The, the short answer is through LinkedIn. Um, Javier Gutierrez, our uh, CEO, was looking for someone um, to lead the marketing department here in the non-traditional sports role. He wanted someone that truly understood uh, the brand side, the retail side. And he wasn't opposed to having someone, you know, come in that had worked for a team before. But I think it was appealing when he saw my um, my LinkedIn resume that I'd worked for some really big, not only agencies, but also brands um, and that I was local. So LinkedIn works. Everyone should have their <laughs> LinkedIn profiles updated. But taking a step back, I, I did. I started my career on the agency side. Crispin Porter and Bogusky, which is an agency out of Miami, um, was the number one agency in the nation. And so I just kind of set my eye on, why not start at the top? Um, and I applied and, and got a media planning and buying like assistant role. Then I worked on the Slim Jim and Burger King and Hager clothing brands. I switched and went client side and started working at Burger King. I wanted to know the client side of, you know, the product mix. Like, why does the Whopper sell the best? 
And why do chicken sandwiches work really well in, you know, certain parts of the country? And I just, I was craving that insider knowledge that sometimes agencies just don't get full um, scope into. And then after I was there for a little while, a former coworker reached out and said, hey, I'm working at CBS Sports. We need someone to kind of help us with this World Cup coverage. And you know a lot about soccer. Would you be interested in coming to work here? And so the thought of being able to work in sports media was so exciting, but also a little bit terrifying because I was a female, young female that had only heard horror stories of the male-dominated sports industry. Yeah, so I ended up working there for two and a half years. Um, I signed on as a product manager and helped them run the World Cup uh, the summer that they had it. And then I quickly switched over to actually um, help run social media there. At the time, just wanted to make a change. Uh, my family ended up moving out to Los Angeles. So I ended up working at Mattel for almost six years. I worked on the Barbie rebrand, um, which was a really huge initiative. And then most recently came from PetSmart and then got hit up by Javier on LinkedIn. And here I am. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's such a story. I mean, I, it's, it's so impressive because... Uh, you know, there's such a breadth of, of marketing experience that that you know, you've been on the cutting edge of like the early days of social media, your experience at Mattel, like with a with a full scale rebrand and for the 21st century. That's pretty amazing. Like I've worked in marketing now for for five years or so, but I've romanticized professional sports for my entire life. What is it really like working for an NHL hockey team? Like, are there any common misconceptions that you know, you find yourself explaining to friends and family about what it's really like to work in pro sports? Yeah, I mean, I can give you, a, I can answer both of those questions. So um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've been here a little bit over three months. Um, you know, there are days where I'm on calls with Gary B Bettman um, and leading marketing calls with people from around the league. There are days that I have back-to-back -back meetings and, you know, get to open my 120 unopened emails at 5 p.m. There's days where Shane Doan will walk into my office and talk to me about the history of our uniforms. Um, he's really eager to help us with some of our marketing initiatives that we have coming up. And then there's days where my team is really just creating like your standard marketing calendar and looking at data and we're talking through, you know, what the next fan experience is going to be. Um, I think the two common misconceptions that I've experienced so far is we do not hang out with the players. They're not just walking around our offices. You can't just walk in there and work out with them. Uh, it's it's very separate. Um, from what I hear, it is not as separate in a non-COVID world, right? Right now, there's a ton of restrictions with player interactions and things like that. Um, but yeah, we're not best buddies. They don't just hang out in our offices. I think a lot of people assume, oh, you work for a team, you must hang out with OEL. Nope, that's not the case. Uh, and the other common misconception is that other teams off the ice are not our competitors. The Sharks were here for over a month training. Um, they had a couple games here because their facilities were closed down due to COVID and and some restrictions with their government. And I had many conversations with their VP of marketing about if they were to play here and they had fans, how would we market to them? Um, same thing with the Knights and things like that. So on the ice, we are very much competitors, but off the ice, we're one team, right? The, the better 
that hockey performs and the more people that get into it, we, we all win. Yeah, absolutely. And just for our listeners who might not know, Gary Bettman is the commissioner of the NHL. OEL is Oliver Ekman Larson, the team captain. And Shane Doan is a former player, probably the best coyote ever, who's now working in player development for the team. But what you're saying is really interesting because this podcast is called The Heart of Business. And it's, it's sort of all about the connections that companies build with their customers and those little moments where the relationships are, are formed and the, and the spark of something special happens. And it's, it's so interesting because in, in hockey, it seems like, you know, there are just so many stakeholders that the word customer doesn't really apply to, or it could apply to a lot of different people and, and like fans, obviously, but also advertisers, the partners that you work with, the other teams, uh, the players, the league itself. You know, how do you think about building the relationships with, you know, other teams, but also with fans, but also with with advertisers and, and partners? Like, there seems to be so many plates that you have to keep spinning in the air. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a great question. I always start with two things in mind. One is really love and care. And the second is what what value am I bringing to the table? What value am I adding? Um, so whether it's a fan, like you just really have to love the fans and care about the fan experience. Same thing with the advertisers, right? Like what are they trying to accomplish? What are their business goals and how does that work? How can I help them accomplish that goal? And, you know, that ties into the value that I add, right? Same thing with the players. It's not just about like posting hockey highlights at the end of the day. It's do they want to build their brand? Like, what are the social, I guess not impact, but what are some of those initiatives that really matter to them? And then how do we approach them and get them involved? I think oftentimes it's, it, people forget that. It's, it's really that simple is just, do you care about the stakeholders? Do you care to know what they're trying to accomplish and what matters to them? And then what value can I add to what they're trying to do? And it's, it's truly that simple, or at least it has been for me. Yeah, I think about that a lot because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge consumer of, of NHL media and, and also Arizona Coyotes media, too. And, you know, sometimes you just see that people have a very special relationship and inter- like relationship with the fans. And, you know, that just doesn't happen by accident, does it? No, it doesn't. It's, it, it, there's a lot of data and there's a lot of understanding, like what matters to them. I think sometimes people just assume like, oh, did the team decide to throw a 90s night? And maybe some teams do. But the reality is it's no, we know through surveys or different interactions that we have with them on social channels or emails or just different platforms that maybe 90s really resonates with them. And so that's why we're having a 90s night, because they have a fantastic experience. They love the music. They love the graphics, things like that. And so therefore, they positively associate your brand with their experience. Sure. And it, it must be, you know, such a, a blessing to have, you know, such some of the best 90s branding of all time. I mean, it's obvious that the team is kind of moving back towards like the original Kachina logo. And I, I think that's so fantastic to see because I, I love that logo and I've loved it since I was a kid. Yeah, it is definitely one of the most beloved um, logos, at least in Arizona. Speaking of Arizona, um, back in 2019, the team got a new owner and uh, Alex Morello became the first Latino owner in the NHL. And pretty soon after, Javier Gutierrez became the first Latino president and CEO in the NHL. And neither one of them has made any secret of the fact in interviews that 
outreach to Arizona's Latino community was going to be a priority. With that in mind, I'd love to hear about how you think about building connections to this community, you know, that maybe doesn't have a cultural connection to ice hockey built in like, like I did growing up in Canada, but is still such a huge and potentially nascent fan base. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, a lot of people don't realize that about 42% of the Phoenix area self-identifies as Hispanic or Latino. So that is why outreach to that community matters, just from a pure business standpoint, right? It's like, understand your market, understand how to go after them. The way that we are approaching it is that it doesn't start with hockey. You can't push hockey to a non-hockey fan. It's not as impactful as if you start with what are what are the communities interested in? What are their needs? Where are they already going? And then how do you merge your brand into that? So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, family is really, really important to many cultures, but specifically to the Latino community. And um, we have a fantastic like youth development program in schools where we go in and we give teachers, PE teachers, hockey curriculums. We give them the equipment. We give, we've written out the curriculum. And if they love doing that in school when they're having fun with their friends, then the likelihood of them wanting to come to a game or wanting to talk about hockey and like starting to research that, going into roller hockey, then ice hockey, et cetera, it just becomes more of like an authentic integration. Taking a look at like where do Latino family go, families go as it is in Phoenix, the number one destination is actually the Phoenix Zoo. So instead of trying to sell tickets to people that have never been here, could we do something with the Phoenix Zoo so that when they're there, they, they start to associate our brand and our team, and then we drive them to come watch a hockey game. So we're definitely pushing hockey to certain um, communities, but it, it has to start with what they're into and what their interests are as a whole. And that's just basic marketing. Oh, for sure. So uh, as a, a marketing insider, I would love to hear your process. Like, how do you go from that insight about, you know, the demographics um, to a strategy about outreach towards families to like the tactics of we're going to go to schools? Um, what does your process look like of, of formulating those plans? Yeah, my process always starts with the data. What data do we have on fans that are already coming? What are they buying? What is their purchase behavior? Where are they coming from? Like, I want to know everything. And then taking a look at, okay, pause. What does our market look like? And then of the people in our market, who's coming and just kind of looking at the data. And then from there, I start looking at interests, like other places that they visit. And from that is where the creative like strategy and things like that get put together. But I love to start with current fan data, market data, and work my way up that way. So uh, as, a, as a diehard hockey fan, I'll be the first to admit that, that ice hockey is a very white sport, um, especially when you compare it to like football and basketball. But I know that you're incredibly passionate about inclusion and diversity. We've talked about that. And so, so what are the Coyotes doing in the organization and in the community to create more opportunity for people of color, both in the sport and in the business? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I'm loving that almost every organization is having open dialogue about this. I think the league as a whole has really, really stepped up this year in putting programs together um, for Black History Month. They did a huge um, documentary around Willie O'Ree, 
um, in the history. He's the first African-American hockey player. So I think it starts with the league, right? League initiatives and then transferring what those league initiatives actually mean and how can we authentically partner with, um, you know, local businesses or organizations here to bring that to life. And then the second is just for us, it's really what does diversity and inclusion mean to us as an organization, as a team? Why does it matter? And we we have that in place. And now we're putting programs together and just different outreach um, to be able to do that, right? Like this morning, I was on a, a fireside chat with a former Black player that was just talking about um, how much the the game has grown. And he actually said that there wasn't really a diversity, as big of a diversity issue in hockey as people think, but there was an inclusion problem. So you have diverse players, but they may not have felt included in the past and how that's really, really changed. I think it's about representation and exposure to something as simple as when fans come to our game, just really being mindful of, our fan base is actually really diverse. Why don't we show that in the video, the video boards during a game? Why don't we celebrate the different types of families? And I consider diversity not just the color of your skin, but different age ranges, different um, looks. Like my team right now, we've got someone that's got tattoos and like dresses funky, and then someone that wears a suit every single day. Like that's diversity to me as well. Um, so, but yeah, we, I think the league and every team recognizes that hockey was, you know, is known as being very white, expensive sport, um, and is, we're working together, every team in the league to, to really just help improve that and, and make a change. Sure. And it's, and it's also about girls hockey too, with, uh, the Kachinas as well as the NHL is also starting to make some kind of long overdue efforts to grow the game for women. I'm so curious what the future of women looks like in the NHL, like especially on the business side where, where you know, you have made your way into the league as well. Yeah, um, we, our Katina's program is doing phenomenally. It, um, it's actually run by Lindsay Fry, um, who's a former Olympian um, silver medalist, and she's been doing a fantastic job. Um, I think it's just about like elevating the voices right? And giving people the opportunity. Paul Bissonnette used to be the radio broadcaster and he could no longer do it. And, um, you know, Lindsay stepped up to do it. So it's about giving people the opportunity um, to be able to do some of those things that traditionally maybe haven't been opportunities for women in the past. What does the future look like on the business side? I mean, I hope the the future is bright. I can say from the three and a half months that I've been here, I've never once experienced um, feeling different because I was a woman or that I don't understand sports because I haven't worked in sports as a whole. I think it's about starting your mindset with inclusion in mind every single day. Is what I'm about to plan inclusive? Is the group that I'm about to have are asked to lunch inclusive, like just always being mindful of that. And I think that's the future thinking anyways, <laughs> current and future. That's so good. I mean, yeah, it, it's like the same thing in, in tech. I mean, like that has also had historic issues with, with inclusion and diversity. And it just it really does start from, the pl- from a place of being mindful, you know, normally where you, where you might not think about things, but taking a second to, you know, are people feeling represented? Are people feeling included? You know, uh, like, does this 
uh, group that I'm a part of represent or reflect uh, the the diversity of the culture that I'm a part of. And, and I think that's a fantastic place to start. And you're right, Lindsay's done such an incredible job on the radio broadcast. Like I've been really impressed. Like sometimes I'll, I'll just tune into the radio just to, to hear Peter and Lindsay talk. So I, I want to talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has affected the season and affected the coyotes because it's changed life for for everybody across the country and across the world, but for the coyotes, I, I, like I can only imagine, you know, what it's been like. I would ask how COVID nineteen derailed your marketing plans, but you started in the middle of the pandemic, and so I'm sure you came in with a strategy for for growing the fan base, for for tackling these challenges despite these unprecedented times. And so I'm curious about the ways that you've had to innovate to reach your customers amid the pandemic. I would say we've had to innovate our messaging and our product. Um, offerings for sure. Uh, we took about 81 suites that in a traditional um, season would be reserved for premium or corporate sponsors and offered um, many suites out to fans. So you could book your own private suite and includes food. Um, it includes your ticket, parking, etc. just for fans that maybe wanted to come back but didn't quite feel safe enough to be in seats that that way they could have you know, suites that they could feel a little bit more private and, and safe in. Um, the second piece in talking about safety is having to innovate around what does safety mean in our arena and how do we communicate at, like what policies and procedures can we put in place um, as well as how we communicate that. So um, our arena has something called Safety Shield that it was implemented by ASM um, who manages the building. We have fans download the Clear app that where they have to fill out a health questionnaire. We have a strip, strict policy on masks, et cetera, mobile ordering through our app. So really innovating in the sense of messaging strategy, which I, I don't think most people think is innovative. It's just strategic um, and, and that's okay. But in a pandemic, it's everything. Um, I think our sales team as well has had to really innovate with that one-to-one -one personal relationship with season ticket members and how do you make them feel great and happy and safe to come back. Um, the other pieces for those fans that want to stay home and don't feel comfortable coming back, how do you make them feel like they're part of that experience? We've got um, a game called Yotes Play that you can play along at home while you're watching the game or listening to it um, on the radio uh, so that they can feel like they can still participate and still have a really fun time even if they aren't here. Um, and lastly, I'd say we've had to innovate from the content front, which is really exciting, right? Like we played the blues seven times in a row, and that's never happened in the history of us playing. And so being able to have some fun with that content, the same thing with the sharks when they were here, like we've never had a situation where you have two teams that are playing each other using the same facilities and, and being based in the same city. So it, it's, that's, that's been like a really fun wild ride as well oh i'm sure and and congrats on edging the blues in that series that was a uh, like nail-biting television i for sure like was glued it was it was impressive i so i i grew up watching the game obviously but a lot of people that i know they first fell in love with hockey watching it live near the glass like there's something about the speed and the intensity of it that really and the crowd around you that really is infectious it makes people fall in love with the game like i've seen it happen Obviously, with limited attendance, that atmosphere is 
just harder to create and, and harder to, for people to access. So I'm, I'm curious, like, obviously, you've talked a little bit about the messaging and the technology behind it. What's next? How long is this? How long is this scenario going to go on? And how are we going to engage these fans and get them back in the building? Yeah, another great question. I think for us, um, it's about enga- it's finding the coyote fan in waiting um, by again not necessarily talking to them about hockey first. So reaching new fans is really about um, reaching out to the community, having like we have a. Uh, the try hockey for free clinics that we put on really often. Um, so kind of reverse engineering it, right, is being out in the community and having our brand um, be recognized in other places besides the actual game, and then hoping to get new fans that way as just as one of our as one of our pillars. Um, but I agree with you. Like I had never watched hockey on TV. I'm a huge sports fan and just never got into hockey. I lived in Miami and LA and it wasn't until I got to LA that I actually went to a Kings game and then thought, Oh my gosh, this, this sport is really exciting. It's really fast. Um, and I was sitting really, really far away. So still didn't get super into it. And then when I moved here to Arizona, and the first Coyotes game that I went to, I was two seats back from the glass and I was hooked. There's nothing more thrilling than watching a live hockey game. And I totally get why I didn't get into it before just watching it from home, because it just doesn't do it as much justice as being here live. Is, is there any way to, to duplicate that experience? Or have you been experimenting with kind of so trying to recreate it virtually, maybe? Um, we have. We have a couple ideas that we've been kind of throwing out. And and as you can imagine, with just about any other team in leagues, it's it's not just what we want to do, but also, you know, you need league approval and, and TV integrations and different pieces like that. Um, but yeah, we, we are definitely throwing around some really fun, innovative ways to make fans um, while we can't replicate the experience, at least make it uh, a little bit more, um, make you feel a little more connected to the game than you ever have before. So what would you say to people who, uh, who still think that hockey can't work in the desert? I don't think it's about the location so much as it is about the fan base, what you do for the city, and um, how relatable and personal and great the athletes and coaches are. Um, on and off the ice. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that in the desert, we get a lot of snowbirds, we get a lot of athletes and a lot of um, uh, celebrities that actually come to escape the winter, right? So this, I mean, we, on Monday, we're going to have 14 NFL players at our game. Amazing. Like most people wouldn't think that in the desert, you get the types of like celebrities and and athletes that like an LA or a New York would get, but we do, Yeah, but, you know, celebrities live here, athletes train here year round or in the off season and athletes love to support other athletes. So we, we have a really, a, a fan base that yes, we need to grow. Um, the game as a whole is growing and needs to grow without growth. You know, you have no future just as a whole. But yeah, I don't think it's something that a lot of people realize about Arizona. Like, I mean, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews both trained here in the off season. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's a vibrant community, especially if you go to the, the ice rinks around town. Yeah. All right. So we've got one last, uh, one last round of questions and it's a speed round. 
Um, so just, you know, whatever the first uh, answer that comes to your mind, shoot it out. And uh, we've got five questions here. Uh, we've done this every interview and it's always a good time. And to be fair, I did not read these ahead of time because I read speed round quick answers and I haven't read them. I think that's the best way to do it because then you never know what you're going to get. All right, here we go. Best book you've read recently? Uh, Megan Rapinoe's book, One Life, that came out, uh, I guess, a couple months ago. Favorite podcast other than The Heart of Business? I really like um, Idea Cast by Harvard Business. Um, just really interesting topics and something just completely different than the world that I work in. So staying fresh on that, um, I really enjoy. Amazing. Uh, work from home or work from the office? Work from the office. I like being around people, even in masks and being forced to put on pants. <laughs> <laughs> same here, same here. What's your favorite purchase that you made during quarantine in 2020? My Tesla. Which, which is so counterintuitive, right? In quarantine, you think people are staying in. Um, it just made me more conscious about the world and how we treat it and how we treat each other and how health is so important and um, got rid of my gas guzzler and traded in for a Tesla. Amazing, that's a great purchase. What's one brand that you admire the most? Besides our own? <laughs> wow, this is a hard one. This is like my world. Lately, I'll just give you the one that I admire the most lately. How about that? That's amazing. Yeti. Yeti. Oh, the, the thermoses. Yeah, yes. They've been doing some really innovative things. Um, they're targeting, they're creative, uh, their partnerships. It, it's really, it's, it's really great for the products that they put out, like the type of messaging and, and their target market is is really really interesting i would definitely keep an eye on them oh they've done some cool stuff on social for sure that's a, that's a counterintuitive choice but i like yeah. it i'm here for it well tanya thank you so so much for joining us here on the podcast today it's been an incredible interview and i'm so excited about what you're doing with the coyotes and and as a fan i am just over the moon to talk to you and over the moon about what what the coyotes are doing this season so again thanks so much for being on the podcast yeah, thank you so much for having me. And if, if you feel comfortable, you're always welcome to a game. Just let me know. We'd love to host you. Oh, 100%. Thank you so much. I will. I will. You. You're listening to Heart of Business. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Now back to the show. All right. That's all for this episode and the first season of Heart of Business. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review as well. You can find the podcast as well as tons of compelling stories on the future of work by subscribing to FrontPage, our editorial site for founders, executives, and customer-facing teams. Follow us on Twitter at FrontApp or by going to frontapp.com backslash blog. Thank you. Heart of Business is a FrontPage production brought to you by Front, the leader in customer communication. FrontPage is the trusted resource for leaders who believe in the impact of meaningful connections with customers. You can find more inspiring stories at frontapp.com slash blog or on Twitter at FrontApp. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Heart of Business.